Section 16 of Soldier's Pay by William Faulkner Read for LibriVox.org by Sandra Chapter 4, Parts 6 and 7 6 Emmy put supper on the table. The house was quiet and dark, no lights yet. She went to the study door. Mahone and his father sat in the dusk, quietly watching the darkness come slow and soundless as a measured respiration. Donald's head was in silhouette against a fading window, and Emmy saw it and felt her heart contract as she remembered that head above her against the sky on a night long, long ago. But now the back of it was toward her, and he no longer remembered her. She entered that room silently as the twilight itself, and, standing beside his chair, looking down upon his thin, worn hair that had once been so wild, so soft, she drew his unresisting head against her hard little hip. His face was quiet under her slow hand, and as she gazed out into the twilight upon which they two gazed, she tasted the bitter ashes of an old sorrow, and she bent suddenly over his devastated head, moaning against it, making no sound. The rector stirred heavily in the dusk. That you, Emmy? Supper's ready, she said quietly. Mrs. Powers and Gilligan mounted the steps onto the veranda. 7. Dr. Gary could waltz with a level glass of water on his head without spilling a drop. He did not care for the more modern dances, the nervous ones, all jumping around like monkeys. Why try to do something a beast can do so much better, he was wont to say. But a waltz now, can a dog waltz, or a cow? He was a smallish man, bald and dapper, and women liked him. Such a nice bedside manner. Dr. Gary was much in demand, both professionally and socially. He had also served in a French hospital in fourteen, fifteen, and sixteen. Like hell, he described it, long alleys of excrement and red paint. Dr. Gary, followed by Gilligan, descended naturally from Donald's room, smoothing the set of his coat, dusting his hands with a silk handkerchief. The rector appeared hugely from his study, saying, Well, doctor? Dr. Gary rolled a slender cigarette from a cloth sack, returning the sack to its lair in his cuff. When carried in his pocket, it made a bulge in the cloth. He struck a match. Who feeds him at table? The rector, surprised, answered. Emmy has been giving him his meals. Helping him, that is, he qualified. Put it in his mouth for him? No, no, she merely guides his hand. Why do you ask? Who dresses and undresses him? Mr. Gilligan here assists him, but why? Have to dress and undress him like a baby, don't you? He turned sharply to Gilligan. Kind of, Gilligan admitted. Mrs. Powers came out of the study, and Dr. Gary nodded briefly to her. The rector said, But why do you ask, doctor? The doctor looked at him sharply. Why? Why? He turned to Gilligan. Tell him, he snapped. The rector gazed at Gilligan. Don't say it, his eyes seemed to plead. Gilligan's glance fell. He stood dumbly gazing at his feet, and the doctor said abruptly, Boy's blind. Been blind three or four days. How you didn't know it, I can't see. He settled his coat and took his derby hat. Why didn't you tell? he asked Gilligan. You knew, didn't you? Well, no matter. I'll look in again tomorrow. Good day, madam. Good day. Mrs. Powers took the rector's arm. I hate that man, she said. Damn little snob. 
but don't you mind, Uncle Joe. Remember that Atlanta doctor told us he would lose his sight, but doctors don't know everything. Who knows, perhaps when he gets strong and well, he can have his sight restored. Yes, yes, the rector agreed, clinging to straws. Let's get him well, and then we can see. He turned heavily and re-entered his study. She and Gilligan looked at one another a long moment. I could weep for him, Joe. So could I, if it would do any good, he answered somberly. But for God's sake, keep people out today. I intend to, but it's hard to refuse them. They mean so well, so kind and neighborly. Kind? Hell, they're just like that Saunders brat come to see his scar. Come in and mill round and ask him how he got it and if it hurt, as if he knowed or cared. Yes, but they shan't come in and stare at his poor head any more. We won't let them in, Joe. Tell them he's not well. Tell them anything. She entered the study. The rector sat at his desk, a pen poised above an immaculate sheet, but he was not writing. His face was propped on one great fist, and his gaze brooded darkly upon the opposite wall. She stood beside him, then she touched him. He started like a goaded beast before he recognized her. This had to come, you know, she told him quietly. Yes, yes. I have expected it. We all have, have we not? Yes, we all have, she agreed. Poor Cecily. I was just thinking of her. It will be a blow to her, I'm afraid. But she really cares for Donald, thank God. Her affection for him is quite pretty. You've noticed it, haven't you? Yes, yes. It's too bad she's not strong enough to come every day. But she's quite delicate, as you know, don't you? Yes. Yes, I'm sure she will come when she can. So am I. Thank God there's one thing which has not failed him. His hands were clasped loosely upon the paper before him. Oh, you are writing a sermon, and I've interrupted you. I didn't know, she apologized, withdrawing. Not at all. Don't go. I can do this later. No, you do it now. I'll go and sit with Donald. Mr. Gilligan's going to fix a chair for him on the lawn today. It's so nice out. Yes. Yes. I will finish my sermon and join you. From the door she looked back, but he was not writing. His face was propped on one great fist, and his gaze brooded darkly upon the opposite wall. Mahone sat in a deck chair. He wore blue glasses, and a soft, limp hat concealed his brow. He liked to be read to, though no one could tell whether or not the words meant anything to him. Perhaps it was the sound of the voice that he liked. This time it was Gibbon's History of Rome, and Gilligan wallowed atrociously among polysyllabic words when Mrs. Powers joined them. He had brought a chair for her, and she sat, neither hearing nor not hearing, letting Gilligan's droning voice soothe her as it did Mahone. The leaves above her head stirred faintly, agitated upon the ineffable sky, dappling her dress with shadow. Clover was again thrusting above the recently mown grass, and bees broke it. Bees were humming golden arrows, tipped or untipped with honey, and from the church spire pigeons were remote and unemphatic as sleep. A noise aroused her, and Gilligan ceased reading. Mahone sat motionless, hopeless as time. As across the grass came an old Negro woman, followed by a strapping young Negro in a private's uniform, they came straight toward the sitting group, and the woman's voice rose upon the slumberous afternoon. Hush your mouth, Luce, she was saying. 
It'll be a poor day in the morning when my baby don't want to see his old Colleen. Donald, Miss Donald, honey, here Colleen come to you, honey. Here your mummy come to you. She completed the last steps in a shuffling lope. Gilligan rose, intercepting her. Hold up, auntie. He's asleep. Don't bother him. No, sir, he don't want to sleep when his own folks comes to see him. Her voice rose again, and Donald moved in his chair. What I tell you, he wake. Look at him. Mr. Donald, honey. Gilligan held her withered arm while she strained like a leashed hound. Bless the Lord. Done sent you back to your mummy. Yes, Jesus, every day I prayed, and the Lord heard me. She turned to Gilligan. Let me go, please, sir. Let her go, Joe, Mrs. Powers seconded, and Gilligan released her. She knelt beside Donald's chair, putting her hands on his face. Louche stood diffidently in the background. Donald, baby, look at me. Don't you know who this is? Tis your Callie what used to put you to bed, honey. Look here at me. Lord, the white folks done ruined you. But no mind, your mommy gwine look after her baby. You, Louche, still kneeling, she turned and called to her grandson. Come up here and speak to Mr. Donald. Here, where he can see you. Donald, honey, here, this trifling nigger talking to you. Look at him in dem soldier clothes. Louche took two paces and came smartly to attention, saluting. If the lieutenant, please, Corporal Nelson, glad to see. Corporal Nelson, glad to see the lieutenant looking so well. Don't you stand there waving your arm at your Mr. Donald, nigger boy. Come up here and speak to him like you'd been raised to. Louche lost his military bearing, and he became again that same boy who had known Mahone long ago, before the world went crazy. He came up diffidently and took Mahone's hand in his kind, rough, black one. Mr. Donald, he said. That's it, his grandmother commended. Mr. Donald, that louche talking to you. Mr. Donald? Mahone stirred in his chair, and Gilligan forcibly lifted the old woman to her feet. Now, auntie, that's enough for one time. You come back tomorrow. Lord, to hear the day when white men tell me Mr. Donald don't want to see me. He's sick, auntie, Mrs. Powers explained. Of course he wants to see you. When he's better, you and Louche must come every day. Yes, ma'am. There ain't enough water in the seven seas to keep me from my baby. I'm coming back, honey. I'm going to look after you. Get her away, Louche, Mrs. Powers whispered to the Negro. He's sick, you know. Yes, am He one sick man in this world. If he wants me for anything, any black man can tell you where I'm at, ma'am. He took his grandmother's arm. Come on here, mammy. Us gotta be going. I'm a-coming back, Donald, honey. I ain't going to leave you. They retreated, and her voice died away. Mahone said, Joe? What you say, Loot? When am I going to get out? Out of what, Loot? But he was silent, and Gilligan and Mrs. Powers stared at each other tensely. At last he spoke again. I've got to go home, Joe. He raised his hand, fumbling, striking his glasses, and they fell from his face. Gilligan replaced them. What you want to go home for, Lute? But he'd lost his thought. Then, who was that talking, Joe? 
Gilligan told him, and he sat slowly plaiting the corner of his jacket, the suit Gilligan had got for him in his fingers. Then he said, Carry on, Joe. Gilligan picked up the book again, and soon his voice resumed its soporific drone. Mahone became still in his chair. After a while Gilligan ceased. Mahone did not move, and he rose and peered over the blue glasses. You can never tell when he's asleep and when he ain't, he said fretfully. End of section 16. This recording is in the public domain.